This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to the Mississippi State Treasurer's Office, the average Mississippi student uh, uh, graduates college with $30,000 worth of debt. Also, 30% of these graduates are reporting delaying major life milestones like getting married, buying a house or car, even having kids. So what questions do you have about student loan debt? Nancy and Ryder are in the studio and ready to answer those questions or any personal finance questions that you have for us. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy. Still enjoying your time in North Carolina, I guess. Is that right? Right. I was just telling Liz it's 66 degrees up here. Um, So I know you're getting a breakdown in Mississippi, and we'll be heading back next week after the 4th, so I'm trying to get prepared for the heat wave. Okay. Um, Maybe you should go to a sauna for, you know, <laughs> yes, that's what eight, eight, eight to 12 hours a day might get you ready for it. <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of a rain shower the other day, and to me it was just enough to make it even more sticky. But uh, mm-hmm. I will say, though, the last couple of days the temperatures have been a little bit more bearable. Uh, but I uh, don't know if that will hold for sure. We still, I think, have a long, hot summer to go through. So, Nancy, what's up? It's, it's not even July, right? I know. It's, that's don't, don't remind us. <laughs> I know. So uh, financial news in the news. Well, I'm watching housing. I think uh, that's going to play a big role in our inflation numbers because housing is a big piece of that CPI pie. Um, we're starting to see prices tamp down a little bit. Uh, know that when we back up and as we were coming out of the recession, we saw an increase in home prices of 63% over eight months. Amazing. And those elevated prices now coupled with a 30-year mortgage rate uh, bumping over 6% means that it's really much harder to afford housing. And, of course, we all live on a monthly basis. Um, Before, we were looking at, uh, on average, 47 hours for a worker to be able to afford their mortgage payment. We're now at 66 hours. So that is going to play into some slowdown of housing. We're starting to see some decreases in pricing, whereas before we were seeing people bidding over the asking price. And uh, we're just waiting to see how this falls out. All right. Good morning, Ryder. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. So, yeah, tying into the inflation and the episode we're doing today, talking about college costs, uh, student loan debt, I I know it's very popular. People call in with questions about this all the time, so I'm glad we're doing a full episode on it. But education expenses are a part of the CPI calculation. They're very small, but it's an interesting thing to me because they're, they're such a small part of the overall CPI. But if you are in college or you have someone in college or you're preparing for college or just left college and are still paying for loans, it is a huge, huge, huge part of your budget. So it's kind of one of the great examples of what we mean when we say kind of that your inflation rate is very personal to you because your your expenses don't necessarily line up with that CPI basket. Certainly not everybody's out there paying, you know, 0.7% of their budget towards education. Some people are paying half of it and some people are paying none of it. So in and this yeah. 
Well, Ryder, I was just going to say, you know, we, we deal with people on opposite ends of the spectrum Absolutely. sometimes. So if we've got retired people who have already paid off their house mm-hmm. or they have a very low interest rate on their home, this is not a big deal to them to see mortgage rates go up. But Absolutely. for somebody with student loan debt that is just now getting started in life, it is a big deal to mm-hmm. combine all of those things. Yeah, and so some of this, and 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 some, I know some of the questions we're going to get are about combinations of those, but absolutely hoping to address those uh, for folks today. All right, I'm going to take a stab here. CPI Consumer Price Index. Nailed yeah. it. You, you right. nailed it. I don't know what that is, though, so I, I've got it's the first inflation. part of the It's inflation. It's what we... we <laughs> Don't confuse the I with inflation, but the CPI is what we refer to as inflation. It's the index of how how consumer prices are changing. There's a basket of goods that they look at. Uh, there was a really fascinating, I think it was Planet Money episode on inflation where they kind of followed somebody around who was going and, and checking the price of butter and eggs at their local grocery store as part of the CPI uh, information collection. Very important, very but very interesting how they collect it. Yeah, and understand that that basket of goods has changed over time because what we buy has changed over time. And so that is adjusted to try to reflect what we experience as average Americans. But as Ryder mentioned, that is different across this spectrum depending on what things you consume. Yeah, so for instance, I'm just looking at it now, and apples are 0.078% of the basket. Bananas are 0.079. Now, citrus fruits are more important to Americans' budget at 0.176% of the CPI. So so when you see the orange prices going up, you know it matters more than the bananas. So just keep that in mind next time you're at the fruit in the produce aisle. And so this is all different types of goods that we buy. So I mean, it's not just food. It's okay. a very comprehensive basket of goods, including health care expenses, like I said, education expenses. We talked about gasoline a lot, even though it's a small part. It's very wild swings, means it can have an outsized impact. Housing, housing-related services, such a big part, because that's a big part of anybody's budget. And often they will report those numbers uh, and take some of those volatile things out, like energy and sometimes even some of the food prices because that it has an outsized uh, effect on it, the numbers. Well, I, I think I found my, my job in retirement. I'm going to go around checking ba- uh, basket prices, uh, you know, the butter and that sort of thing. That sounds, like, sounds a like a fun way to... fascinating <laughs> job, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whole list of long thing. Go find out how much this stuff costs. <laughs> hey, I can do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to be talking about student loans today. Uh, what questions do you have maybe about forgiveness? Nancy, what are a couple of resources that uh, people might check out when it comes to uh, student loan debt? Well, if you're a high school student uh, getting ready to go to college, you need to talk to your local guidance counselor because they have a lot of resources. They know how to navigate some of those things. And um, it's really difficult. Uh, When I was teaching at Mississippi College, we still would have students who were the first in their families to go to, to college. And so if your parents have never navigated that, you need some help. So guidance counselors are great. Um, Most people who are looking at some sort of assistance are going to file for FAFSA. That is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. You can go to that website, find out all kinds of information about the types of loans that are available. And, of course, for anybody, you know, Google searches, looking for information. There's all kinds of information out there about student 
student loans and what's available. And um, I'll, I'll leave it to writers to talk about the value of that education despite those loans. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just going to chime in on, on the FAFSA. A lot of people think, well, we've saved up for college, so we're not going to need to apply for this. But it it is used so widely. It's also used for for both public and private schools. Some, some schools also have additional work on top of that. But it determines your eligibility sometimes for scholarships and grants, which you may not have been considering before, even if you've saved up enough, it's going to be nice to get some extra money if it's available to you. So, uh, and, and, and they have made that process a lot easier for folks too. For, so for someone uh, already in high school, also, I love the U.S. News College Report. They put a comprehensive list of I assume every single college, what their their list price tuition, other costs of attendance, and what folks end up actually paying. So you can see not only, oh, such and such a college has this tuition, which may seem affordable, but then you look and you see they're also more generous than average with scholarships. So it might create some opportunity for you. And of course, if you do have student loans and are managing those loans, studentaid.gov, it is the authoritative source on on all of the different plans, all of the different loan programs that exist for the federal loan programs. Uh, so, Nancy, a quick follow-up on FAFSA, and again, that's the free application for federal student aid. Again, this is something that uh, people going into higher education would certainly want to check out. But what if you are a college student, maybe a, a sophomore? Is this something, do you have to do it before you get to college, or can you access it while you're, while you're in college? Yes, you still can, and uh, you can update that information. And, of course, parents are going to have to put in their information about their income and their assets. And different types of accounts are counted differently. You know, you do get a break for retirement accounts. They don't count as much against you because they recognize that parents are saving for retirement and have limited access to those funds. Um, And uh, it has an impact on how we set up even college savings accounts for students. We have a lot of grandparents who want to do that. So we have to think about how that's going to show up on FAFSA and how that will ding that record and have an impact on how much you can get. If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about managing student loan debt. Do you know how many people have student loan debt? Stay tuned to find out when we return. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Donated by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. 
Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Around 46 million people have student loan debt. 54% of that 46 million say it wasn't worth it. Interesting. Uh, we're talking about student loans Ooh. today. So, Ryder, let's uh, move on to another set of terms. Tell us the difference, please, between a subsidized and unsubsidized loan. Yeah, so there's a couple of features or classifications of loans, and the subsidized versus unsubsidized is one of the first features or classifications that people should be aware of. And uh, essentially, a subsidized loan means that while you you are in school, you're not required to make payments on your loan while you're in school because you don't have income to pay it back. So that's part of the deal of a student loan versus some other type of loan. With a subsidized loan, the uh, Department of Education covers your interest payments, so you don't have interest accruing. So that's the subsidy. They subsidize the interest. And on unsubsidized loans, the interest accrues while even while you are not required to make payments. So that's as soon as you take out the loan. Again, even though while you're in school, those two to four years or six, as it may be for some folks, if you really love school, it continues to accrue and you will have to pay that back. And parent loans that parents can get, the Direct Plus program, which is also available for graduate students, professional school, things like that, those are also generally unsubsidized. So that interest will accrue while you're in school. And there's a whole lot of implications to that. There's kind of more details to go. But that first breakdown, subsidized versus unsubsidized, the subsidy just makes that loan a little bit cheaper. And that is a really nice benefit for folks. Um, who can get a subsidized, I can't say that word, subsidized <laughs> loan, and how do they determine who gets one? Yeah, so it's all just kind of done when you apply through the uh, Department of Education, and uh, subsidized loans are available for lower-income borrowers. They are uh, available for the student borrower. So I, I, I don't have the income limits, and it's all going to be part of why you fill out the FAFSA so they can see if you qualify. 
But essentially, lower income, you have subsidized loans, higher income, uh, higher assets, more resources to pay, you're going to have unsubsidized loans. And if you have an um, unsubsidized loan and have the ability to, it would make sense that you do not put off paying. I mean, wouldn't it make sense to pay for that if you could? Yes. And so one important thing with student loans, depending on the exact loan program, there used to be a lot of loan programs. They've really narrowed that down and also narrowed back down the repayment options to just kind of make it a little cleaner, more transparent, and and really beneficial to the borrowers. They're still loans, but they don't have so many confusing different programs you borrow from. So one thing about interest rates on student loans, one thing about the interest is that it can accrue, but not all of it will earn interest on top of interest, which is one of the dangers of if you if you have, a, 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 say, a, a private loan from a bank where they do allow you to skip payments or maybe you have interest-only payments or something interest will can compound on top of interest with student loans that's limited to a very small amount of the interest so uh, some loans i know are 10 percent of the interest so say you take out a student loan for ten thousand dollars once you hit a thousand dollars worth of interest no more interest will accrue interest on top of that. So that's 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 a small benefit. Uh, so that while you are in school, a lot of interest does accrue, but it doesn't become too painful. We've got a caller on the line, so we will say good morning to Gail, who's called in from Long Beach. Gail, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Morning. That's a great question, and this this is applicable to anyone who has a big income change, be it retirement, be it loss of a job, or just change of a job. Any reason you have a big income change, I strongly encourage people to, again, if these are federal student loans and you have one of the federal student loan servicers, you should be eligible for an income-based repayment plan. There are a lot of varieties of them. They have worked really hard to make sure sure that pretty much any federal student loan is eligible for some income-based repayment plan, but it is just like it sounds. They base it on what is your income, and it is limited to about 10 to 15% of your discretionary income, and discretionary income is defined as your income above the poverty line, above uh, 150% of the poverty line, which is around $18,000 for a single person. I I believe that's right. Um, So that makes it so that the loan where where previously it might have been a large fixed payment, the loan should be a more manageable part of your budget. It should, even though it can be a decent bit, still 10 to 15%. If you have just changed income dramatically, that can be a lot of money still, but it should be less than what it was before. And many of the programs uh, actually stipulate that it is less than any fixed rate uh, payment plan. But it also should not be as burdensome on your budget. So I would strongly suggest you look into income-based repayment plans. 
Um, and Gail, understand that whether you qualify for this depends on your particular type of loan. So call your servicer, yes. find out if that's available. Um, know that in retirement, your Social Security can actually be garnished to cover mm -hmm. student loans. Mm -hmm. And we have come across people who are collecting Social Security and still paying on student loans. My goodness, that's a big burden to deal with. Mm -hmm. So check with that servicer and see if you qualify for any of these special programs. Yeah, and the important thing, I think, for anybody who's having trouble with their student loans, is first step is just check with your servicer. There are so many options on what the programs are, what your repayment options are. Even if you're just in a temporary hardship, you can get forbearance for up to six months. Just there are options out there, and a lot of people, I think, see that balance. It's very big. It can be frightening, I know, uh, especially if you went to school a long time ago and you're tired of paying this, but there are options and your servicer is going to be your first port of call. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thanks, Good luck. Gail, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So, Nancy, um, student loans can be private or government loans. If you would, uh, tell us about the differences between those two. Oh boy, there's a big difference. And if you have a federal loan, a government loan, you have gone through the Department of Education, you have filled out a FAFSA. They don't look at your credit history, but there is a limit as far as uh, how much they will allow you to take out in loans based on your family's ability to pay for your education. But huge advantage with federal loans because that means any kind of federal program. So right now, we have an announcement that student loans are in deferment until the end of August. That only applies to federal loans. It doesn't apply to private loans. Um, there is talk of some forgiveness of loans that's only going to be on federal loans. Ryder talked before about income-based um, repayment plans. That only applies to federal loans. Federal loans will allow you to have some change in repayment, all kinds of flexibility. You don't get that with private loans. But we come across people all the time who've gone the private loan route because there were limits on how much they could take or they just chose to do that. Um, in that case, you're dealing directly with the bank. So the bank doesn't have you know, they don't have to give you any kind of deferment period. They don't usually adjust the interest rates. You're you're not going to be um, eligible for any of these federal programs. So be very, very careful in taking on private loans. There are other options. Use your federal loans as much as possible. Look at any kind of additional grants or scholarships. Look at work programs. Make that your last option. One thing we've seen a lot in recent years, not, not as much since interest rates have bumped back up a lot, but is private banks, private loan servicers offering to refinance your government loans. And that's something that people should be very careful about. Again, all of the things that Nancy just listed, the benefits available to the deferment, the forbearance, the lower interest rates, the payment plans, all of those that are available to student, uh, federal student loan borrowers are just not, not going to be available with the private loans. Those are just going to be fixed. It's going to be based on your income and credit score. 
sometimes we have seen with someone who can drop a very specific plan for paying them back, say they can, they have the income, they have the cash available to have a shorter payment plan. Maybe their old federal loans happen to be at a really high interest rate and just a lower interest rate on the private loan made a big difference. But I've been very cautious about pushing, uh, about Encouraging people to go that way because it has you have to go into that with a plan because you're going from something that has just even if it's not the absolute best terms everywhere has some really useful repayment options has some really useful terms and you're going to something that is going to be just very strict uh, very by the book loan that you don't have any wiggle room and you can't and you can't go back to the government loan you can't say ah you know I didn't really like this uh, loan from X Y Z bank or whatever. I just I want to I want to refinance to a federal. It's, that's not how it works. Um, and again, if you don't know if you've got a private loan or a federal loan, call your servicer. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you. And again, just to clarify, deferment means that you s- sort of freeze the the, right. the you loan. Get, you get a break in payment, mm-hmm. but also you don't have to make the payment. Interest will still accrue. Okay, when that you're was, in deferment. Okay, uh, but it's it's just I'm in a hardship. I'm in a bind. They may have some qualifying things you need to do, but fairly straightforward to get yourself into deferment if you're having trouble paying. All right. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Uh, So, Ryder, in your opinion, uh, what loans should families prioritize? Yeah, so if you have, well, just from (laughs) uh, federal versus private loans, if you have a mix of both, you're probably going to want to prioritize those private loans. Those are probably at least focus on making those minimum payments on that. If they happen to just have a lower interest rate, maybe you don't want to absolutely prioritize them, but they are going to have some requirements that you can't get out of. So you need to, that needs to be a, a baseline in your plan. If you have subsidized, uh, loans, those are going to be a lower priority than unsubsidized loans. If you have, there's, again, a variety of programs and student loans, of course, you would have taken them out over several years. So someone who took out student loans you know, two years ago for freshman year, maybe they're at 3%. And if they're taking them out uh, this year for their sophomore year, they may be taking them out at 6 or 7%. That rate has gone up. So when they graduate, they're going to want to focus on those higher interest rate loans because they are fixed. Uh, and so just like any other debt, you want to tackle the, uh, tackle the higher interest rate, rate ones generally, and you want to save the ones that are most flexible in their repayment and the lowest cost. You want to save those for last. We're discussing managing your student loans. Average student loan debt in 1980 was $3,900. What do you think it is now? We'll have the answer for you coming up next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Got some callers to get to after this break as well.
Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So average student loan debt was $3,900 in 1980. It is now 32731 That's according to the Federal Reserve. That's a bit higher. It is quite a bit higher. We're talking student loans today and have a couple of callers to get to, so we'll begin in Hattiesburg. Ray Lunny has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I just wanted to say uh, I had not heard you discuss the fact that if you are you have a private loan, you went to a bank and got it, uh, you think you have a student loan. Yes, it is a type of student loan. Mm-hmm. But I spoke with the uh, Department of Ed this week, and they said that you can consolidate your loans with the, as a federal student loan, and then that will make you eligible for those if you've paid on it 10 years and um, you've worked at a certain place for that, for that amount of time. Uh, so I, I just wondered if one of you could address that. So they're, they're saying to you that you can consolidate your private loans and convert them to yes. federal. Yes, well, convert them to federal. Huge, yeah, that'd be a huge advantage because then you're available, as they say, for all of these special programs. But they did tell you you have to have paid on it 10 years already. Yes, yes. Okay. Hmm. All right, so that's going to be longer-term loans. Yes, that's for those people like me who still paying. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I have not heard of, again, that moving the private loan to the public loan program. So that's a, that is that is new to me. Yes. Uh, if it's a lie, they told it. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm for letting skeptical. us know. I'm we skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm skeptical. But if the Department of Education said it, I mean, hold them to it. Hold them to it. Yeah. I think if you read all of the fine-tune, uh, you can. You can apply now, You'll, but it has to be done before the 31st of October this year, where you convert over. It's an a application. You can go online and get it and do it. And I asked whether or not the interest rate would change, and the comment was that they you usually try to stay at around the same interest rate you're paying now. Okay. Raylani, we're going to check on that and then maybe okay. pass on some information uh, to the folks at Money Talks at MPB so they can put that out there. But we want to verify yeah. that that program is in existence. But that's a great well, one. Well, please do. Please do. All right, Raylani, we'll do some research for you and uh, either get back, we'll post something maybe on the uh, the archive, or we might uh, bring that up maybe next week on the show when we get some more information. But thanks uh, for calling in. Let's stay on the line. Next, Bob is our caller. It's your turn, Bob, so go ahead. Hey, how's it going today? Good. What do you have for us, Bob? Well, I just have a quick question. I have a student loans amounting over 30000 back from 2005, and I have recently uh, 
on credit reports. And my question is, is it true that you can get them off your credit reports like you can medical? Um, I, I do know what you're talking about with the medical. It's a lot easier to take that off a credit report. I have not heard of taking a student loan because that is still a loan product off of your credit report. There are generally some options for if you, for instance, if you had something which was in technically in default, maybe you weren't paying on it, and that shows up as a bad mark on your credit report, and then you get back to paying it regularly, you may be able to go back and have the bad mark removed. So there, there are some options. I, I don't know of any uh, unique to the student loan, and that would be something that you would uh, – a really good resource for this is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, CFPB.gov. So that's a very good one, a good resource for that. But you're going to have to go to the credit reporting agency. And remember, there are three. You have three credit reports from TransUnion, Equifax, and uh, Experian. I always, I always forget one, two, or three of those. And you would have to go and request anything that's going to be removed. You'd have to go and request it from them specifically, and they would have a process for doing that. Um, understand that in bankruptcy, generally student loans are not part of a bankruptcy proceeding. Right, right. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've only recently been looking at my credit and really paid attention to it. But uh, something uh, I, I found on there was, my, like I said, my, my schooling goes back to 2005. Mm -hmm. So it opened in 2003. But on my credit report, it shows that it's, it's it as of 2012. So all those years prior doesn't show up for me paying on it. And oh. I just don't understand a lot of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know... I, I don't know because I know the way that student loans and a lot, of, a lot of things on credit reports have changed through the years, and it may have been that that was just held at a at a servicer that wasn't didn't report. Uh, servicers, it's voluntary whether or not they report your loans, including credit cards, mortgages, etc. And especially in the credit card arena, we have seen that a lot of newer and smaller credit card lenders may not report all of the information. It's voluntary. Uh, so it could have been that as a student loan, maybe it was being held in-house at a bank and they just didn't bother reporting it. Maybe it was done through some program that just didn't involve reporting it. Uh, uh, perhaps even it was some of the subsidized type, and since it was being paid for by the Department of Education, they didn't, they just didn't report it then. So that could be it. But if you going going back and adding information to a credit report, that's you're right. Usually people want to take information off of the report. Uh, that's an interesting proposition, and again, that would have to be done through the credit reporting agency themselves, especially if you have those records. You had a loan. You were paying it. Uh, perhaps they can they can rectify that. Or yeah, the reason I asked is uh, I was in one of those programs that if I paid on it for so long mm -hmm. that it, it, it would be forgiven after like 10 years or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and, and one thing to keep in mind is that the, the forgiveness program, so public service is one that forgives uh, after 10 years. There are some medical loans. Uh, they're often privately arranged that may forgive faster. There are a lot of forgiveness programs built into repayment plans nowadays. Those aren't based.
based on your credit report. Those are based on your records with the servicer. So if oh. you, it, right. So if you were expecting, hey, I've got 10 years of repayments already. I should be eligible for my forgiveness. You're going to have, it doesn't, it, it really in that case doesn't matter what the credit report says because it, there will be specific requirements with the servicer, specific requirements for you know, at months being on time and paid for and the amount and the type of payment plan. And not all of that information is going to be on the credit report. The credit report is going to say you had a you know a $500 payment, you paid it on time, etc. But, but it doesn't give the extra right. information that they need for forgiveness programs. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob, thanks for your call this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got another caller to get to, so we're off to Meridian this time. Dan has called in. Go ahead, Dan. You're on the air with us. Uh, yes, uh, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Good. Uh, I have a, uh, a student that's uh, in the process of going to college. Uh, it seems to me that to, to the subsidized loan seems to be much more beneficial uh, mm-hmm. from what you described. I guess, do you, have, do you have any options in terms of letting the school know or would the school take initiative say, okay, let's try to provide the student uh, with the most uh, loans that are subsidized versus non-subsidized? Do you have any say-so in terms of maxing one out or, or choosing one over the other? So uh, all of that information is going to be determined when you do the FAFSA. So it and, and also it's it's done when you apply. So for folks who already have one, you can't really switch between subsidized versus unsubsidized. And also, if you're out of school, then they're essentially going to be the same anyway. Uh, however, you're good to point out that if someone is eligible for both, I believe they sh- they should be unless there's an error made. Then they should fulfill their maximum quota of subsidized okay. loans before it shifts to the unsubsidized. And and keep in mind with the, the federal loans there are limits, total limits to borrowing. And so once you hit that limit on the subsidized uh, then you'll shift over to the unsubsidized. I see, so I, yeah. So would would, would school take it? Go ahead, Dan. If you're a parent and you've got a uh, uh, children heading into college, you need to be involved with uh, uh-huh. that conversation with the college because it's very competitive and understand it. The, you put it out there that, that you're limited as far as what you're willing to take on as far as debt, uh-huh. then they may be able to find some way as far as scholarships, grants, those kinds uh-huh. of things. There is some I discretion see. at the college level. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, very good. So I guess it would be it would behoove me, or it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, it would be okay for me to reach out to the school and and ask them. Is it? Yes, we always absolutely. take out as much subsidized loan as we can. Well, very good. Yes, and they can certainly help you with understanding you know what the eligibility requirements are because in, indeed, especially if you're looking at sending a child to college or you have a couple more years where you know you're going to need to borrow, there are things you can do with your financial situation to ensure that, well, to to be more eligible for subsidized loans. So particularly with with parents often just maxing out your savings in tax-deferred yeah. accounts, that, again, the amount you have in tax-deferred accounts counts less than amounts you just have in, say, a cash banking account. Because all the FAFSA is is determining 
how much money do we think the parents have available for college? So they take a certain percentage of income. They take a certain percentage of assets. And, and like Nancy highlighted earlier, something like a retirement account, which is designated for something else, it is not accessible, particularly without penalty, that counts way less on the score than, say, just cash available in a bank account, which you clearly have available to spend. Very good. Thank you very much. Dan, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks. We're talking about managing student loans. Do you think Americans own more in credit card debt or in student loan debt? We'll have the answer for you when we come back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, immediately following our show. So do you think Americans owe more in credit card debt or in student loan debt? The answer is student loan debt. And I was looking that up. It looks like I was thinking it was really close. 1.6 trillion yeah, in so. student loan debt. That is crazy. And yeah. we know that uh, the people who are most likely to default on those payments are people who never get a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had a crackdown on some of the for-profit colleges mm-hmm. who are taking advantage of people and signing them up for these loans. Um, an education is valuable, but not every education has the same value. Mm-hmm. So when you take on debt to get an education that will hopefully produce an income for you, make sure it's a degree that will be able to support that debt uh, and income later on. Make sure you're getting it from an institution that has the reputation that you'll need to actually go into the job market. So don't be hesitant to take on debt to get that education, but make sure it's reasonable and make sure you can complete that education because that's going to determine whether or not you'll be able to service that debt. And and that reminds me what Nancy said about most uh, people who default are – 
ones who did not complete the degree. We had it's been a while since we had them, but they get to college folks where they have a program called Complete to Compete. Oh, that one just it just rolls off the tongue in a certain That's way. That's a good way. Yeah. Um, but Complete to Compete is all about helping you complete your degree so you can compete in the workforce. And and sometimes it's a matter of maybe you were just a couple of credit hours short and you just need or you just need a little bit more for a certification, which you were just so close to getting. Or maybe you didn't realize some of your credits from different schools. Maybe someone just never put it together in the academic office and they can help you do that and they can help you figure out what you need in order to complete that degree so you can compete in the workforce and hopefully then be able to pay that off. And, um, you know, back to what, Kevin, you mentioned those numbers, the average debt in 1980, like 3900 and mm-hmm. 32000 now. It's inflation, um, Nancy. It, huge, huge <laughs> increase. Educational inflation has been much higher than overall inflation. Mm. I don't begrudge any kind of breaks that people get who have the student loan because it does have an impact on the overall economy. It goes back to, you you know, can't form households, can't buy the house, can't do all those things because you're trying to pay off that debt. And even people now in retirement having their Social Security garnished to cover student debt, wow, that's a big deal. And and like you said, Nancy, it's in everyone's interest to have – better educated, uh, more productive, more prosperous neighbors. So that's kind of why we have these programs. That's why these subsidies are even debated uh, at a state or national level, because it it benefits the rest of us if, if we're all doing better. I think I need to go out and run up my credit card debts, kind of get it a little even on those uh, two debts there. So. No, no, please you, don't. You have a, you have a, there's a lot of room to catch up, Kevin, but if enough of you do it. <laughs> We've got some phone calls to get to, starting again in Senatobia. Elizabeth is on the line. Good morning, Elizabeth. Go ahead. Um, I'd like to come in on what Nancy said about ensuring that you get a, that you, you take out a loan to go to a reputable institution. I think that to talk about forgiving loans until you reform the system and rationalize the system, you're just putting a Band-Aid on a deep wound. It is absurd how much money is given for student loans to go to these for-profit institutions, to these institutions that have a a 25 or 30 percent graduation rate. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's problematic when students borrow $100,000 to get a a master's or PhD Mm -hmm. in social work. They can never repay that loan. So I'd just Mm -hmm. like for you to comment on restructuring the system to where it makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, and I understand, Elizabeth, that we are making progress on that. Um, They are cracking down on these for-profit colleges. Um, And in fact, a lot of the for-profit colleges would go after um, military people, uh, veterans, because they knew they could get GI Bill and get Mm -hmm. paid on that. Um, But that is being addressed. Yes, we need to do more of that. And we also need to have conversations with our students going into college about what is realistic as far as incomes that you can expect. I remember teaching a class 
at Mississippi State where we talked about what, what's going to happen when you graduate. And they wrote down what they thought their starting salaries were. It was ridiculous. They had no clue what they were going to be facing. Mm. So uh, Elizabeth has hit on kind of a pet issue of mine in that colleges have been able to raise tuition. And as she highlighted, these private for-profit institution institutions, companies, whatever you want to call them, have been able to exist and take that money um, because of the generosity of student loans, because we so want more educated uh, people and more productive and prosperous citizens. So what I've always thought is they've been able to raise their tuition because of the availability of these loans, but they have never been on the hook for when these loans are not paid back. And that goes for if someone gets, like she said, a social work degree. Why, you know, why are you burdening someone with so much debt if and you know they're never going to pay it back? And I've Personally, I've always thought that you have to get the colleges with some skin in the game. I've actually seen a proposal. I forget who someone who is running for uh, the the House in Mississippi actually proposed tying the interest back to the school while the student borrower would still have to pay back the principal. Which is not necessarily my ideal situation, but that's a way of thinking about the student does have to pay for it. We, we all agree if this is a valuable thing, then a student should be willing to pay for it. But putting some skin in the game for the college, that's an interesting way of looking at it. All right. Uh, we're just about out of time. Uh, Ela is on the line from Memphis. If you would, uh, we were not able to get to your call. If you could, you could send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And also, uh, the New Perspectives blog will be information regarding college savings posted soon. If you'd like to follow that, it's newper.com, N-E-W-P-E-R.com. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your podcasting app. Our call screener today was our intern for the summer, Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Today's show was produced by Liz Gill and New Perspectives interns Brady Gray and Mara Farrell. No relation. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.